From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Wade Menezes. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. You can also text the letters EWTN to 55000 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. Hey, Tremendous uh, Tuesday. Excuse me. It's Tuesday. A tremendous Tuesday. Hey, hey, hey. Watch, watch that. Watch that. <laughs> to each and every one of you, thank you so much. If Father Trujillo is listening, he probably just freaked out. He's <laughs> trying to get his equipment set up quickly, but no, it is Tuesday. Father Wade Menezes is in the house. We're going to be talking faith, family, and fellowship here on EWTN's Open Line Tuesday. If you'd like to be part of the program, the number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, your number is 1-205-271-2985. And we will put you straight to the front of the line at 1-205-271-2985. You can always send us an email, openline at ewtn.com, or you can text your question Text the letter ZWTN to 55000. Wait for a response. Text your first name and your question. Message and data rates may apply. I'm Jack Williams, Michael McCall, producing the program. Your call screener is Matt Gubensky and Jeff Burson, handling our social media efforts. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window, and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host, as he is every Tuesday, the aforementioned Father Wade Menezes, who's going to talk about the seven last words of Christ, but there's a lot more than seven words here. Yeah, th- there are, there are. And a, and a shout-out to uh, all the parishioners of Corpus Christi Parish, where I am this week here at St. Augustine, Florida. Father Ed Murphy, the pastor, great parish, great parish mission so far. Uh, we're averaging about uh, 288 uh, a day. And uh, so far now into the third day of the mission, that means over 600 participants total so far in the parish mission. So it's just a great, great uh, parish mission so far. And I thank the the parishioners for that and Father Murphy for his great leadership. And by the way, a great week for a parish mission. Any pastors listening right now might want to think about this third week of, uh, of, of Lent as a great time to have a parish mission, at least this year according to the lunar calendar. And I'll tell you why. This third week of Lent Parish Mission here in St. Augustine, Florida, Jack, uh, you know, Lent, first of all, the third week is the very heart of Lent because it's a five-week season, right? Then we go into Holy Week. So the third week of five, we're literally in the heart of Lent right now. So great time to have this great catechetical parish mission. Second of all, the first day of spring happens to fall uh, yesterday on the 21st during the Monday of the parish mission. And also the two bookends of the parish mission this week are the two great solemnities that fell during Lent this year of 2022. That is the solemnity of St. Joseph, a husband of Mary, on Saturday the 19th before we kicked off the parish mission Sunday night. Uh, and then also uh, the parish mission ends this coming Thursday night. The very next day is the great f- Solemnity of the Annunciation, March 25th, 
the Annunciation of Our Lord. So this parish mission is kind of capstone between these two pillars of these two great solemnities that fall during during Lent this year. So I think Father Murphy hit it hit the jackpot when he chose this third week, and we were able, we were able to fit it in for him. But in the heart of Lent right now, you're absolutely correct, Jack. This is an important, important devotion, and it's a very, very important one, the so-called seven last words of Christ. Huh? It's looked at especially in practice, especially during Holy Week, but we can start thinking about it now and even start carrying it out now as, as we focus on these so-called seven last words. These so-called seven last words refers to the last words, or more appropriately, the last seven sentences or phrases huh, of Jesus Christ spoken from the cross. These are recorded in the Gospels of St. Mark, St. Luke, and St. John. And in sequence, they are the following. Number one, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Number two, amen, amen, I say to you, this day you will be with me in paradise, spoken to the penitent thief by Jesus. Number three, woman, behold your son, spoken to Mary, and behold your mother, Christ's bequest to John. Number four, my God, my God, why have you deserted me or forsaken me? And then uh, number five, I thirst. And then number six, it is accomplished or it is consummated, consummatum est. Huh? And then when every prophecy has been fulfilled, Jesus says these important words, the seven, seventh word of Christ, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. So these seven last words of Christ have been the subject matter, Jack, of much spiritual writing and insight literally over the centuries, huh? And I want to just comb through each one now individually and just highlight it. The first word, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do or they do not know what they are doing regarding those who have killed him. The Father already knows what the Son is thinking, but through these words, the Father and Son invite each one of us into their thinking, right? They make us aware that forgiveness is offered to us through this sacrifice of Jesus dying on the cross. We are freed from the sin and lies that entrap us in our daily life, possibly in this broken, wounded world. The second word, we read, amen, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The penitent thief acknowledged his guilt and his wickedness and thus was welcomed by Christ. We too huh, can find salvation if we acknowledge our sinfulness. The third word, woman, behold your son, and son, behold your mother, spoken to the Blessed Virgin and John the Apostle, whom he loved. This word turns our gaze from the drama of the cross, we could say, to those standing at the foot of the cross, standing, not collapsing, not fainting out of horror or, or fear, but standing. Standing at the foot of the cross, it establishes Mary not only as John's mother, but also our mother in the faith. The stabat mater, standing mother in Latin, at the cross her station keeping, stood the mournful mother weeping. This is why Pope Julius II uh, did not permit the so-called spasmus virginis devotion, the spasm of the virgin devotion from the 13th century, which says that Mary swooned and eventually fainted cold at the foot of the cross. No, Pope Julius wouldn't allow it because scripture is clear that Mary stood at the cross. Was she sorrowful? Yes. Was she grief-stricken? Yes. Did she weep? Yes. We even have the great uh, feast of Our Lady of 
of Sorrows on September 15th every year, the day after the Triumph of the Cross on September 14th. But she did not faint or swoon or spasm. She remained standing at the cross. Huh? The fourth word, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is quoting Psalm 22 here. He embraces his suffering by speaking to the Father with the word. The psalm resolves in triumph, we could say, and hope as well, as will Christ's suffering. The Father doesn't abandon Christ. Rather, Christ abandons himself to the Father. How awesome is that? Uh, a guide for us, a model for us. The fifth word, I thirst, at the beginning of Mother Teresa's ministry, we should note that Jesus appeared to her and told her to form a community that would satisfy his thirst for souls. Huh? Similarly, at the cross, we see Jesus' thirst not just as, a, as a something physical on the physical level, but on the divine level, expressing his longing for us to come to know and love him. The sixth word, it is finished. With these words, we see the healing of creation. Huh? The Father's wrath is satisfied, his compassion is delivered to his people, and we are gifted with freedom, cleanliness, and grace. Huh? It is finished. It is consummated. Consummatum est in the Latin Vulgate of St. Jerome. Huh? And then the seventh word, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Jesus bows his head and hands over his spirit to his Father for all of us, each one individually. This momentous and glorious moment proclaims that the past is finished and a bright future is open to each one of us personally and lovingly by the Blessed Trinity. The crucifixion points to a path of hope, taking the redeemed to a never-ending future with Jesus, his Father, and the Most Holy Spirit, huh? an eternity with our triune Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So have the seven last words of Christ been a particular devotion that you've had an affinity for over the years? Archbishop Fulton Sheen wrote a lot about it and frequently spoke about it during Lent. If it has been a particular devotion of yours during Lent, give us a call and witness about your devotion to the seven last words of Christ. Uh, what is your special devotion during Lent? Huh? Maybe a, I just want a, one particular specific devotion. Have you recently been introduced to the Divine Mercy Chaplet, and maybe that's your particular devotion during Lent? Maybe you were just introduced to the Rosary or have come back to the Rosary after many years. Maybe it's the Stations of the Cross. I want a particular specific devotion witnessed about today. Not three or four, not two, just one that stands out in your spiritual life, Open Line Tuesday listener, and call us and witness to us about it, especially if it is indeed the seven last words of Christ, which is just one example among many. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. It's EWTN's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade Menezes. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. You know, EWTN uh, Religious Catalog has got a real treat for you this Lenten season. It's a little book called Mercy, a sacred story by wow. Father William Watson. 
In this book, Richie is an alias for a federal inmate that's uh, it's used to protect his identity. When starting his 19th year of a 25-year sentence for armed robbery, he sought spiritual advice from Father William Watson, author of 40 Weeks, A Self-Guided Prayer Experience. Uh, Father agreed, suggested uh, suggesting that Richie send any questions that he had as they work through the program, and in return, Richie gave permission for all of their correspondence to be published. This is a treasure, which mm-hmm. comes together in mercy, a sacred story. As Richie writes in one of his letters, I did not take, it did not take long for me to discover the most meaningful name for God, the Father, Son, and Spirit that I will always use in prayers, God of mercy and compassion. Although my life has not so far turned out the way I had hoped or expected, the realization that it could be a lot worse and that the only reason it hasn't is because of God's intervention. It's all available now. Mercy, a sacred story by Father William Watson, available at EWTN's Religious Catalog. That's EWTNRC.com. Melissa is watching us on YouTube, and she says, If someone was baptized in the Byzantine Rite, would there be anything that would stop them from practicing their Catholic faith in the Latin Rite? No, not at all. Not at all. You have uh, any of the 23 Eastern Rites in union with Rome are just that, in union with Rome. And those Eastern Catholics can indeed attend the Latin Rite, um, either in its ordinary form or extraordinary form, uh, and vice versa. So uh, there's no problem there at all. Great, great question. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because one of our, uh, our daughters and their family uh, mm-hmm. started attending, you know, both, they were raised in, in the Latin Rite, but started attending a uh, Maronite Rite church because it was the only one that was open during the pandemic in their area, and they and their large family were welcomed by this parish with open arms, and, uh, you know, they have been atten- continued to attend there, and uh, the core bishop, who was the pastor of that particular parish, uh, has confirmed and, and uh, baptized their most uh, recent child and has confirmed all of their other children and, you know, and makes it makes it known that these are Latin Rite people, but yeah, they are welcome right. to, to, to celebrate with us in this, in this Maronite Rite Church. And, and Jack, correct me if I'm wrong, does, doesn't Father Mitch Pacwa celebrate Mass he each does. weekend at a Maronite church there in Birmingham? That's right, yeah. he does. Yeah, yeah he's Beautiful. by ritual, as he likes yeah. to say. Right. So thank you so much, Melissa, for that, uh, for that uh, email. If mm-hmm. you would like to be part of the program, the number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. First up on the phones today is Margaret in Houston, Texas, listening on the EWTN app. Margaret, thanks for being so patient. Welcome to the program. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, so my question is one that I know has been asked many times, but my sister-in-law is getting married in December. She still claims to be Catholic. Um, but we don't really know how much she practices. Um, she's marrying a man who's from India. He is Hindu, and we, my husband and I, are trying to decide what we should do uh, as to whether or not we want to attend it or not. My, she's my son's godmother. His parents are both divorced, remarried, um, never got an old month. They both claim to be Catholics, still go to Mass, and they don't see a problem with her getting married outside of the church. And... I have read an article Father Mitch wrote about it in 2015. We've had one priest personally tell me that he encourages us to go. My brother-in-law's priest told him it would be a mortal sin if we attended, so we aren't really sure what to do. (laughs) Yeah, well, regardless of your sister-in-law's parents and their history of being divorced with no annulments, etc., and thus they see no problem with her marrying outside the Church, the question is about her. 
and because she's the one getting married now. And you want to know whether or not you could go in good conscience. Uh, she is your sister-in-law. She is also the godmother of your son. Uh, my simple question is this. Uh, why is she not, do you think, why is she not seeking a proper dispensation to marry the non-Catholic, indeed a non-Christian, in the Catholic Church? Why is she not seeking a proper dispensation from her bishop to do that? guess would be because she's unaware that it needs to be Ah, you just, you just gave me the answer I wanted you to give me. So why aren't you witnessing to her about it? Especially if she claims she does practice the Catholic faith. She tells you that, although you admit that you don't know how, how strong she practices it. It's a great foot in the door for you in all Christian charity to say, let's call her Susan. Uh, Susan, are you aware that um, if you get a proper dispensation to marry your fiancé, the non-Catholic, indeed non-Christian Hindu, in the Church, that all of us practicing Catholics can go? And in addition, Susan, it's going to give a great example to your godson one day when he's older, because he's going to understand that godmother cared about the faith enough to properly marry in the faith. Granted, because it's a disparity of cult marriage, meaning a Christian marrying a non-Christian, disparity of cult, which means simply following, cultus in the Latin. Uh, be, although it's a disparity of cult marriage, it will be a valid, natural marriage, although non-sacramental, because it's disparity of cult, but it'll be a natural, valid marriage that all the Catholic relatives can go to in the Catholic Church. This is your chance to witness to her, and this is what you need to do to her. Or invite her to listen to this portion of Open Line Tuesday from today, March 22nd of 2022, um, before the first half-hour break. Uh, and so uh, witness to her. Also share with her a great article by Father Francis Hoffman, found at simplycatholic.com. Father Francis Hoffman at simplycatholic.com. And it's titled, May I Attend the Wedding? Guidelines for Catholic Guests. Great question and a great opportunity for you to be an evangelizer to your sister-in-law, who is indeed a Catholic and who is indeed your son's godmother. Great question. Thank you so much for calling today. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Next up is Kathy in Indianapolis, Indiana, listening on Catholic Radio Indy. Kathy, you're on with Father Wade. Hello, Father Wade. Um, I just had a question for you, and I know that you talk a lot about the four last things, so this kind of relates to that. Mm -hmm. um, my father passed away last year, and um, unfortunately he was um, verbally and physically abusive to my mom and to me and my three brothers growing up, um, and he never really apologized for anything. Mm. So I'm just wondering, when he, um, you know, became came before Jesus— and this would give me consolation. Um, did he, do you think he had contrition for um, the way that he treated us? Like, is there any way to know whether he did or not? Uh, you mean just prior to his death? I, I would have no idea. Uh, it depends on, the, on his state just before his death. Many people express sorrow just before their death, and if they're Catholic, even if they haven't practiced the faith for a long time up till that moment of death— they have enough compunction of heart to ask the living relatives to get a priest to see them before they pass. 
it sounds like your dad did not do that. Uh, you don't even state whether or not your dad is Catholic or not. Um, so it would just depend on whether or not he had any compunction, and if you witness compunction of heart. Uh, St. Faustina, in what she reveals that our Lord says to her, uh, gives us great hope that God still gives the person a chance, even interiorly, if they don't manifest it on their deathbed while still living just moments before their death. Uh, one thing's for certain, our Lord would reveal to him at his particular judgment, once he does die, uh, everything that he did. When our God comes, he does not keep silence, we're told in, in the sacred scriptures, right? So um, that, that's a reality there that, that happens at the particular judgment. Everything is laid before us, huh? And so uh, that's a good thing, because as St. Thomas Aquinas defines guilt in his Summa Theologiae, he says, guilt is the loss of integrity of soul and the soul's recognizing that fact. Beautiful definition of guilt. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about founded guilt. I'm not talking about unfounded guilt. I'm talking about founded guilt. Guilt is the loss of integrity of soul, and the soul's recognizing that fact that it's lost its integrity, right? Um, so, so that's a good thing, and that's revealed to the soul at the moment of the particular judgment, the things that they are guilty for at the time of their death. This is why monthly confession is such a beautiful, beautiful practice. Uh, you know, show me a person who goes to confession faithfully once a month, and I've said this before on Open Line Tuesday, for example, in honor of the first Friday devotion to the Sacred Heart, or in honor of the first Saturday devotion to the Immaculate Heart. Chances are their monthly confessions, precisely because they're going monthly, 12 months out of the year, uh, 12 times out of the year, uh, chances are those are going to be devotional confessions. What are devotional confessions? Devotional confessions are, are still bona fide real confessions, but we add the adjective devotional because it simply means that all that's confessed is venial sins, because the person's not aware of any mortal sins on a month-to-month basis, and that's a beautiful thing. If the truth be known, the chief fruit, the capital C, capital F, the chief fruit of a monthly confession is that the person stays away from mortal sin on a continuum. How beautiful is that? And if you, you are struggling with, with a, a mortal sin or something that's objectively mortal, um, still on a month-to-month basis, then start going every two weeks. Uh, you know, grow out of it uh, through a strong, strong spiritual life. So your dad didn't have that, but your dad gives a great witness as to why we should have it, Right. And so uh, you have the virtue of hope, one of the three theological virtues. You have the virtue of hope that your father had some compunction of heart, either just before his death or at the very moment of death, and that the mercy of God met that compunction, as St. Faustina would describe our Lord revealed to her, can very well happen. And so offer suffrages for your father. Have masses said for your father. Uh, offer the daily Divine Mercy Chaplet that you pray or the daily regular rosary that you pray for your dad. I'm not saying to pray an extra chaplet or an extra five-decade rosary for your dad. No, just your standard daily chaplet and your standard daily rosary in your own strong, committed spiritual life. 
include your dad in that daily intention of your daily chaplet and your daily rosary. I'm not telling you to multiply your prayers. You're probably a busy woman and, and have a job and, and a house to keep and, and a family to attend to, etc., etc. I'm not telling you to multiply your prayers, but in the prayers you do pray already, include the blessed repose of your father's soul. How about seeking out a plenary indulgence for your father's soul? Remember, we can seek out a plenary indulgence daily, and it can be applied to ourself individually, because we're the one who carried out the indulgence, we can apply it to ourselves, or we can apply it to a deceased person, known or unknown to us. What you cannot do is apply your daily plenary indulgence to another living person. Why? Because they're still living, and they can work out their salvation. How about offering uh, any combination of the three eminent good works for the blessed repose of your father's soul? Not because they're works per se, but because of the charity they help foster to the other. How about carrying out any combination of the 14 works of mercy, the seven corporal works of mercy for the body or the seven corporal or the seven spiritual works of mercy for the soul in any combination for the blessed repose of your father's soul? Again, not because of the works themselves, but because of the charity they prosper. There's, you've got the virtue of hope, and there's all th- kinds of things you can do to have hope for your father's salvation. 833-288-EWTN. It's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. What are your Lenten practices? Father Wade wants to know on this Open Line Tuesday. Peggy watching on YouTube says, Hi, Father Wade. During Lent, my favorite is to pray the Stations of the Cross. And she said she just received this year Mother Angelica's Prayers of the Mm. Stations. Oh, beautiful. Excellent. Excellent. And remember, stations during Lent, uh, not only just on Fridays, you can do them any day of the week. You can do the stations any day of the, of the year, technically speaking. Um, but that's a beautiful, beautiful witness, praying the stations during Lent, taking them on a special way. And to Kathy, who called right before the break, Father Wade stressed the importance of hope, having hope for her father. And I wanted to share a little acronym that my lovely wife, Johnette Williams, uses frequently. H, hold on to the truths of the faith, which Father Wade gave you plenty of truths of the faith to hold on to during his response to the question. O is own the challenge, Kathy. Pray for your father until the day you die or the day Holy Mother Church canonizes him as a saint. Uh, P, persevere in prayer and patience. Don't give up. Stay the course. And E, expect God to intervene. There you go. Great. Next Great. up is John in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, listening on Real Presence Radio. John, you're on with Father Wade. Hi, Father Wade. Hey, there's a couple of things I do. I think they're both Ignatian. Um, one of them has been a magnificent help for me. I used to just have sort of a dictionary definition of it, but I think I get it now, and that's Alexio Divina. Mm. It has really helped me to sort of, as I read Scripture, give it over to the Holy Spirit, allow Him to work through my Christian imagination, and really bring some some life um, as it as it, as it um, as it has meaning in my life to Scripture. It's just been magnificent. It's really yeah, been a big help. 
A- Amen. Amen, John. You know, Lexio Divina is Latin for divine reading, right? It's spiritual reading. It's, it's holy reading, we could say. Um, and it represents a method of, of prayer and, and scriptural reading, we could say, uh, intended to, to promote communion with God and provide special spiritual insights regarding the scene from scripture that you're reading about. How awesome is that, right? Uh, the principles of Lexio Divina uh, were expressed around the year 220, originally, according to church history, uh, and they were later practiced by Catholic monks who really brought the practice of Lexio Divina to the fore, uh, especially within the monastic rules uh, of St. Augustine, uh, St. Basil, and St. Benedict, especially those three. Um, and as you just alluded to, uh, very well, I might add, the, the practice of Lexio Divina is, is uh, where it's meant to ignite the person's uh, scriptural spirituality, we could say, and help deep, lead them more deeply into the, the text and the context of the scene of the scripture, and it really, really helps feed the spiritual life. And um, I presume you mean that this is something you've taken on, especially during Lent, and this Lent especially, it seems to have really hit home to you what it's all about. Is that correct? Well, well, I have. I've actually been trying it for about... I'm, I'm a fairly new deacon, actually. Oh, and I use, it, I use it to help me with my homiletics. And before I, before I turn to any homily helpers, before I turn to any, anybody else's... Um, reflection on the gospel, I first do that. And it gives me an opportunity to let the Holy Spirit speak to me. What what do I see in it? Then I go to these other sources, and they, they can add some points and connect the dots and such. But yeah, um, lately, it has been exceedingly fruitful. And part of that might be because of another devotion that I have been really picked up in just the last few weeks, and that's when I go to bed at night. Spend some time doing sort of an Ignatian examine. Go through my day. Where was God speaking to you? Where were you not your best example of yourself? What is God calling you to? Just reflect. What happened today? And who should I pray for? What should I pray for? Then finish up with some prayer, close my eyes, go to sleep, do it all over the next day. Yeah, amen. Amen. And and traditionally, too, just as an addendum to everything you just said so well, uh, traditionally, the examination of conscience done at the end of the day is called the general examine, and you close it with some form of an act of contrition. It can be the traditional one out of your favorite Catholic prayer book, Oh my God, I am heartily sorry for having offended thee, and I detest all my sins, etc., etc., etc. Or it could be an act of contrition just off the top of your head, spoken from the heart, uh, in your own words, or it can be a, an official liturgical prayer from the sacred liturgy, like the Confidior. That's an act of contrition, right? I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned, etc., etc., etc. That's beautiful to do, because then you're closing each day before you hit the pillow at night with an official liturgical prayer of Holy Mother Church, and that's a beautiful way to end the day. We begin the day with the morning offering, we close the day with an official liturgical prayer. But the fact is, you close the general examine, which you pray at the end of the day, maybe a 90-second to two-minute exercise, like you just said, where did I go wrong? Where was I strong? Asking God to make you stronger in that area, ask, asking God to help take that weak area away from you. Close it with an act of contrition, the general examine. Now, the particular examination of conscience, also known as the particular examine, uh, E-X-A-M-E-N, the particular examine is done at midday, 
Again, it's only 90 seconds to two minutes long. Looking at your day only up till that point, say the lunch hour or one o'clock, and you, you're looking at a particular virtue to advance or a particular virtue to root out. That's why it's called the particular examine. And then the general examine at the end of the day, again, E-X-A-M-E-N, the general examine at the end of the day, you're looking at your whole day generally in its totality, which you described very well, Deacon. You're looking at your whole day generally, overall, quote unquote, uh, to see how you did in this area or that area, or where you didn't do good in this area or that area, etc. And uh, great, great practice. The particular examine, the general examine, the morning offering. I've really been hitting the morning offering here at the parish mission this week in St. Augustine, Florida. Uh, the, I pray in my morning offering each day that the day I die, I will have made a morning offering. That, that's <laughs> in my morning offering. You know, I, I want to consecrate myself to the Sacred Heart of Jesus and the Immaculate Heart of Mary daily. She has one goal, to lead me more closely to her son. And so I want to include her in my morning offering as well. Great, Deacon. Deacon, are you a, a permanent deacon with the diocese, or are you a transitional deacon one day to be a priest? No, I, I am permanent, about 10 months. Oh, praise God. Well, tell your pastor about the Fathers of Mercy at fathersofmercy.com, and maybe he'll have us in Sioux Falls, uh, South Dakota, to uh, have a parish mission there, and, and you can serve Mass with me, Deacon. God bless you now. Thank you so much for a great call. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Maureen is in the great state of Colorado listening on Catholic Radio Network. Maureen, you're on with Father Wade. Oh, thank you for taking my call. Um, I have a question. I'm consecrated to the Blessed Mother, and I know people have been doing St. Joseph in the same manner. I want to get consecrated to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Is there a program for that consecration? You know, that's a great question, Maureen. I am not aware offhand, without researching it, of an elongated, multi-day consecration that leads to an official consecration to the Sacred Heart. I'm aware of the nine First Friday devotions to the Sacred Heart of Jesus given to us by our Lord to St. Margaret Mary Alacoque, the Sacred Heart visionary seer from France. I am aware of the nine First Friday devotion. Uh, I'm not aware of an actual multi-day elongated uh, series of prayers done daily, like the 33-day St. Louis Marie de Montfort consecration, or the 33-day St. Joseph consecration given to us by Father Don Calloway of the Marians of the Macca Conception out of Stockbridge, Massachusetts, uh, personal friend and, and a dear friend of the Fathers of Mercy as well. I'm not aware of such a consecration to the Sacred Heart like those two to the Blessed Virgin Mary, and to St. Joseph. By the way, uh, Father Don Calloway's confrere in the Marians of the Immaculate Conception out of Stockbridge, Father Michael Gately, did a, a 33-day uh, consecration book, a uh, series of prayers to the Blessed Mother, which is the, the de Montfort one in a more, with a more modern take that is also very, very good. So you have those two options, the more traditional one from St. Louis de Marie de Montfort, and the more modern one from Father Michael Gately, or the St. Joseph one from Father Don Calloway. I'm not aware of one for the Sacred Heart per se, but I can tell you this, if you go to fathersofmercy.com, the homepage comes up immediately when you go to fathersofmercy.com, in the upper right-hand corner is a little icon drawing of a magnifying glass, click on the magnifying glass, and then the uh, search bar comes up, Maureen. On the search bar, simply type consecration to the Sacred Heart. 
and you will see a consecration prayer to the Sacred Heart that I have written, that I pass out at all my parish missions on the opening night. In fact, all the parishioners here that came to the parish mission on the opening night this past Sunday, two days ago, um, three days ago, here at uh, Corpus Christi Parish, that's how we opened the Eucharistic Holy Hour with the mission conference for the opening talk, talk number one of five, is we prayed that beautiful prayer of consecration of the Sacred Heart. And at the top of the sheet that you can print out as a PDF document on your home printer, it says to be prayed especially on Fridays and even more especially on the first Friday of each month, hearkening back thereby to the nine First Friday devotion. That said, it's a prayer, Maureen, a consecration of the Sacred Heart that can be prayed any day of the week. Uh, but especially on Fridays, because that's the day that our Lord died. So be sure to go to fathersofmercy.com, click on the magnifying glass icon in the upper right-hand corner, a search bar then comes up, and on the search bar, simply type consecration to the Sacred Heart, or Sacred Heart Consecration. It'll come up immediately as an option to print out on your home printer as a PDF document. Thank you so much, Maureen. We thank you for your call today at Open Line Tuesday. Next up is Lauren in Atlanta, Georgia, listening to us on The Quest. Lauren, you're on with Father Wade. Hello. Hello, Lauren. Thank you for your call from Atlanta. Hey, I was calling because today's gospel reading is from Matthew, and it's the one that says, Lord, if my brother sins against me, how often must I forgive him? In the Mass readings, the answer that Jesus gives is, when he says, as many as seven times, Jesus answered, I say to you, not seven times, but 77 times. So my question is, it used to always be 70 times seven. And when did it change and why? <laughs> well, it's just simply a different translation. So it's, it's actually not correct to say that it's always been one way. That's not the case. Um, you have different translations over the centuries with the different translations of the Bibles, in, including from uh, St. Jerome's uh, Vulgate and the Latin, uh, all the way to the Protestant uh, translations. One that I like uh, to look at is the Revised Standard Version, the Catholic edition of the Revised Standard Version. It's known as the RSV CE. Why do I like that one? Because I think it's very faithful to Jerome's Vulgate translation, but in the modern English. Okay? St. Jerome's Latin Vulgate uh, is not in a modern English style. It's in an archaic English style, but the RSVCE, the Revised Standard Version Catholic Edition, is the one that I like. I also kind of have an affinity for it because the two books that I've written so far, with a third one to come out soon, Catholic Essentials, but along with my first two books, The Four Last Things, A Catechetical Guide to Death, Judgment, Heaven, and Hell, and Overcoming the Evil Within, The Reality of Sin and the Transforming Power of God's Grace and Mercy, uh, put out by EWTN Publishing in conjunction with... Sophia Institute Press, both of those organizations, EWTN Publishing and Sophia Institute Press, use the RSVCE, the Revised Standard Version Catholic Edition, uh, for the printing of their books. And so I have an affinity for it in that regard, too. But even before my first book came out, I still loved it, the RSVCE, because it was a very faithful modern English translation to St. Jerome's Latin Vulgate. And I'm looking at that right now, Matthew 18, 21 to 22, and the way the RSVCE states it is this, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? 
as many as seven times, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. 70 times seven. Now that would be faithful to what Jerome says in the Latin Vulgate. So there you have it. It's just a, a matter of, some, of, of translation and some semantics in there with the translations per se uh, regarding the particular passage you happen to be looking at. So great question. Thank you so much for calling Open Line Tuesday today and, and asking that, Lauren. We, we really appreciate it. Ellen is watching on YouTube, and she says, Thank you, Father Wade, for teaching us many valuable lessons. We are blessed to have you preaching our Lenten retreat slash mission here at Corpus Christi Catholic Church in St. Augustine. God bless you. Amen. Well, thank you so much. It's a fun group. You know, you, you know it's a fun group of parishioners when uh, they, they're very, very attentive and quiet listening to the doctrine being presented. At the same time, with uh, you know, some light humor here and there, they respond to the humor. Because <laughs> if they don't respond to the humor, then you're thinking, okay, maybe they're, maybe they're not getting it quite. But, but this group here at Corpus Christi, i got to tell you, they're just a fantastic group to preach to, both the morning session and the evening session. You know, we were at a, a parish mission recently in a, in a uh, an area that has a large, traditionally Slavic uh, mm. uh, uh, population base, and they're very stoic people. And you can go through an entire evening, and not one of them will even crack a smile. And then the parish mission is over, and they'll walk up to you, and they'll say, that was one of the most moving experiences of my life. <laughs> <laughs> so you can't always judge by what you're seeing. Right, you can't judge by what you see during the mission. Yeah. Uh, put more credence in the comments you get after the mission. <laughs> <laughs> Next up is Ralph in the great state of Iowa, listening on Iowa Catholic Radio. Ralph, thanks for holding. You're on with Father Wade. Yeah, yes, Father Wade, in relationship to the seven last words, mm -hmm. I have become very attuned to it. My devotion, I guess, would, I guess my devotion to it would be the fact that I just think about it and meditate on it a little bit. Okay, and that is to the last of you know, the words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this is what I heard about it. And he speaks those words in our place. And one says those words, the one who says those words is Emmanuel, God is with us. Mm -hmm. So the one asking why God is not with him is God is with us. Why is this an awesome thing? Because it means this. When you come into the darkest moments of your life, when you feel God has forsaken you, even then, He will be with you. When you cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God will be there right there saying those words with you. When you feel immediately far away, infinitely far away, hopelessly separated from God, God will be there feeling just as infinitely far away and hopelessly separated from God with you. That is, that it was God himself saying those words in our place means that even if you were forsaken by God, God would choose to be forsaken with you, and so you will never be forsaken. If God was with us even when he was separated from God, mm -hmm. then there is nothing in this world or beyond, nothing in this age or in this ages to come that will ever separate you from the love of God in him who is the love of God. And remember, too, Ralph, that Jesus is crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, Matthew twenty-seven forty-six and, and Mark um, fifteen thirty-four. 34, uh, in his human nature. Remember, the doctrine of the hypostatic union, Ralph, okay? Uh, Jesus was one 
person, capital P, a divine person, specifically the second person of the Trinity incarnate. Prior to his sacred incarnation in his Blessed Mother's womb, nine months before Christmas, what we're about to celebrate this Friday, March 25th, exactly nine months to the day before Christmas, the sacred incarnation. Prior to that, he's the divine logos, okay, the divine word. But as Jesus Christ, the God-man, He's the second person incarnate, in, in, incarnate in the flesh, in the meat, right? Which he assumed in his blessed mother's womb. So he's one person, a divine person, capital D, capital P. He's one person, a divine person, with two full, complete natures. A human nature and a divine nature. This is why many of the church fathers intimate in their readings, or say very bluntly in their readings, what he was, he remained, God. What he was not... He assumed he took on human nature. He had both natures, two natures, each one full and complete, subsisting in the one divine personage that he had. Each nature complete and full, each one not convoluting the other. Well, when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's in his human nature so that we humans can relate to that, because sometimes we can feel forsaken by God, by God that he's not listening. In reality, he is, and his will, not our will, be done, but it's our, it's our own human nature that cries out, and Jesus was giving us an example that he still remained faithful. Although he cried out that, he did not despair in his human nature, like Judas despaired, okay? Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which is natural to human nature going under a crucible, but he did not despair. He did not despair in his human nature. And that's, that's what I would add to everything you said. He's given us an example, as St. Paul teaches in the New, Epist- New Testament epistles. He's given us an example in his own human nature for our own human nature. Great uh, insight, Ralph. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. Next stop, the Tri-Cities in Nebraska. Alex is in Kearney, Nebraska, listening on Spirit Catholic Radio. Alex, you're on with Father Wade. Hey, Father Wade. Thank you for having me. Sure, Alex. My question was, what advice do you have or insight from the Church or maybe the Fathers on how we should go about picking what we uh, let enter our ears in terms of music? Great question. I've got one response. Garbage in, garbage out. Virtue in, virtue out. I don't have a problem with secular music as an addendum to sacred music, Christian contemporary music, provided it's good secular music, okay? Uh, I I've, I've, was just talking to somebody last night at the parish mission here in St. Augustine, Florida. They were asking me about a similar question, and I said, have you ever heard my talk on confession when I specifically talk about don't look back on your past sins that you've already confessed, especially the most hideous and wicked mortal sins that you've already confessed and have not recommitted, don't look back. Scripture says, don't be like the dog that returns to its vomit in 2 Peter 2.22. Don't be like the sow, the mother pig, that after washing returns to wallow in the mire. The person feels they have to keep confessing the same sin over and over, even though they haven't recommitted it. They confessed it once, it's gone. Don't look back. And I use the 1978 Boston hit, Don't Look Back, as a secular song that has a fantastic 
spiritual message. Don't look back, a new day's breaking. It's been so long since I felt this way. There's nothing evil about looking at a secular song like that. In fact, God could be inspiring the secular artist with his secular song or her secular song to feed us that, because it could be the channel by which God uses the person to lead them to the fullness of truth in their Catholic faith. So, you know, I love Christian contemporary. I love sacred music, uh, 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 polyphony and, and some of the masses that were done by Bach and Beethoven. I just love listening to classical sacred music. I love listening to the harmonies of polyphony. I love good country music that has a great message. I love secular music that has a good message. But the, the, the songs that talk about the, and glorify fornication or uh, uh, sinful matter and sinful acts, no, no. Garbage in, garbage out. Virtue in, virtue out. That's my guide, Alex, is that uh, secular music can be very uh, good and, and, and in one sense even noble, provided it's not immoral and, it, and it's good, solid, virtuous secular music. Remember, the church sees good in creation. Music is created by artists. You know, in, in, in the apostolic exhortation, Laborum Exertions, by now St. John Paul II, he says we not only should esteem uh, manual labor like Jesus does in his parables, every parable, and, and using the parables as Jesus' chief way of teaching the populaces during his three years of public ministry, he uses parables. How many of Jesus' parables use work and working situations? All of them. The parable of the harvester, the parable of the fisherman, the parable of the householder, the parable of the cook looking for a lost coin. Uh, etc., etc. It's all physical manual labor. John Paul II brings this point out in Laborum Exertions on the Dignity of Human Labor, his early 1980s apostolic exhortation, I think 1981, but don't quote me on that. Uh, in that apostolic exhortation, John Paul says this, let's not forget to esteem intellectual labor as well which Jesus intimates when he talks about the parable of the investor, about proper investment and commerce and trading, etc. Uh, the parable of the talents, which also has to do with proper investment and trading. So uh, that's moral, etc. So John Paul II says, let's esteem intellectual labor as well as physical labor. And what's the example he uses for intellectual labor? The work of artists, the work of accountants, the work of those in academia. How awesome is that? So, so here's an example. Your question's about music per se, Alex. Let's esteem the work of artists, even secular artists who put out good, wholesome, moral work that doesn't have evil about it. It can be used. Great question, Alex. Thank you so much, and blessed Lent. Father, where would we go to, uh, to learn more about the Fathers of Mercy? At fathersofmercy.com. And would you leave us with a blessing? I certainly will, Jack. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit descend upon all of our Open Line Tuesday listeners and remain with each and every one of you this day and always. St. Joseph, Terror of Demons. Pray for us. On behalf of our host, Father Wade Menezes, our producer, Michael McCall, call screener Matt Kubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in. Back at it tomorrow with Father Mitch. Until then, God bless.